0: Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Hi friends, we took a break off our James series last week to focus on the hope that we can have in all situations of life. And uh, we just want to assure you of our prayers as a pastoral team uh, for you uh, during this lockdown period. But we're back into James again. And James chapter 5, well, let's just say James doesn't miss us, does he? He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Not the most comforting words I've ever heard, I don't think. But hang on, he's written it to the rich people. So surely that applies to the Bezoses and the the Musks and the Gates and closer to home to the Reinhards and the Afterpay Boys. applies to them, doesn't it? Well, yes, it does. But it also applies to us. You can go and search the internet and you will find out that for anyone born in Australia, that places us in the top 8% of the richest people in this world. And for those of us who are earning the average Australian household income, that places us in the top 3% of the world's richest people. So listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now let me put this uh, into context. About two weeks ago, Lynn and I were off to celebrate our anniversary weekend. Now, our anniversary is in January, but uh, we were locked out of the uh, inner city in January because of COVID. Well, we just made it two weeks ago, and we went off for anniversary. And here we were, high up, very high up in the Intercontinental Hotel, looking down over Circular Quay, looking across at the Harbour Bridge, and the Opera House taking all of that in, in what was a very luxurious unit. Having a great time. Now, on Sunday morning, so two weeks ago, this morning, we went down into the restaurant uh, to a buffet. All you can eat. And it was all there, the food was all laid out, as much coffee or tea, whatever you wanted. People would come and bring it along to you. And it was fantastic. Talk about a luxurious time together. But there was a check in my spirit, and even as we was sitting at that table, I looked at Lynn and I said, darling, do you know what I'm down to speak on next week because I was to speak on this uh, last Sunday? I said, it's, it's this. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. See, I had a check in my spirit for two reasons. The first one, that when I looked at all that food and so much of that, that probably would be thrown out and wasted at the end of that buffet. I was aware that while I could go and grab whatever I wanted, that so many around our world are living with an empty stomach and are dying because of malnutrition. And I had another check in my spirit because I realised that I, I could actually get used to this lifestyle something very appealing about waking up and looking over the most beautiful city and harbour in the world, going for a walk through the botanical gardens and coming back and having all the food you want just laid on for you. I could get used to that. But let's come back and put this writing of James into context. You see, this is not an attack on rich people because they're rich. Far from it. Deuteronomy says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers. You see, God gives us the ability to produce wealth, to make money. And we know that money is necessary. Money is necessary for us uh, each and every day to provide for our basic needs. And after all, Paul writing to Timothy said, Anyone that doesn't provide for his family, is worse than an unbeliever. Money is necessary for us to to run our church. Money is necessary for us to give sacrificially and generously to the mission that we undertake as a church, both in our local communities and beyond. And God provides everything richly for our enjoyment. Paul wrote in Timothy and he said, God provides everything richly for us to enjoy. God wants to bless us and give us good things. So, denying the riches that God gives us just shows a complete lack of appreciation for all that God has provided. Did you know that making money is a spiritual gift? Well, why would I say that? Well, I would say that by inference, because if we go back to Romans... Um, Paul, writing to the Romans, said, We've all received different gifts according to the grace God has given us. For those that are the gift is prophecy, let them prophesy. For those who have a gift of serving, let them serve. If the gift is teaching, let them teach. If the gift is giving, let them give generously. And that infers that this gift of giving is not a once-off just gift, a once-only generous gift to another person but it is a lifestyle of giving. And if someone has the gift of giving and giving generously, they need, therefore, by inference, to have the gift gift of producing wealth. Because God doesn't want us to be some kind of uh, spiritual. uh, Robin Hoods who go and break into the houses of the rich and then run around and distribute those gifts to the poor. Those gifts that we're able to provide because God has given us the ability to produce wealth as that passage in Deuteronomy says. Well, I can hear some people are saying, but hang on, Brian, you're you're mixing up spiritual riches and spiritual generosity with material wealth and material generosity. Well, because after all, they'll say that the scriptures say that money is the root of all evil. And yet that's um, that's a common misunderstanding. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. And that's the issue that I think James is addressing as he writes uh, his epistle. He's basically writing to a group of people who have pierced themselves and have pierced others with many griefs because of the way that they have have used their money and they have, have abused their money. He's writing to those that might not yet know Jesus to basically say, hey, there's a call on your life to use your wealth in a different way. And he was writing to them with four very specific things. He says, it's wrong for you to hoard your wealth. Your wealth is rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last day. Hoarding wealth, accumulating wealth is completely contrary to God's plan for you and me. God wants us to be a a conduit of blessing, a channel of blessing, where we receive all that God provides for us and we take what we need, not what we desire, but take what we need to live on, and we pass on the other generously to those who have a need. And we get a very graphic picture of God's approach to people that want a hoard. And it happened right back in the days of the Israelites when they were walking through the wilderness. And God provided for them quail um, and manna. Manna, a little wafer, honey type of substance wafer that they would take. And they were given this instruction only to grab enough, to collect enough for a single day and not to take too much more. But we know the people back then were very much like the people are in this day and they couldn't help but take a little bit extra. They wanted to take some for on, for later on. And when they came back to get it, what happened? It was filled with maggots. Filled with maggots. God gave us a very, a very strong indication of what He views um, hoarding is all about. It's a misuse of what He provides. It's not God's plan for us. We are called to be generous. Givers, Not to be hoarders, but to be generous givers. And the best passage I know in the Bible that talks about that is 2 Corinthians 9, 16 to 15. A long passage, but let me read it. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. Why? So that through your generosity, there will be thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. If ever there is a passage of scripture that points out God's plan for giving generously, it's this. We are to be people who sow generously, who reap generously, who give, 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 and the result is thanksgiving to God as the needs of all people are met and as they praise our Father in heaven, as all the needs are supplied. And even more, there's a promise to those who would step in to this channel of blessing, and it comes from Isaiah 58. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday, And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Friends, what a great picture it is for us to engage in that life of generous giving rather than be hoarders of wealth. And then the second issue that James had with the, these rich people is that they, they made their money by abusing others, by walking over them, by failing to pay their employees what they deserved. He writes, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. It's an interesting thing that a sender, the HR um, software consultants uh, estimated in July 2019 that 22% of Australian employees were underpaid and were being underpaid by 18%. And then obviously uh, once that story broke and, and everything else has come to the to the surface about some of the biggest name employers in our land who have been underplaying their staff and having to go back and, and back pay what amounts to to millions and millions and millions, it's probably running to billions of dollars now. Doesn't take much to reach a billion dollars these days, does it? We are blessed in Australia that we have a structured industrial relations a regime where people um, can seek recompense if there's not an adequate payment made for their services. It's not the case in so many other parts of the world. I'm reminded of the time I travelled across to the, to the Solomon Islands and a cleaner in a hotel gets paid $50 Solomon for a week, equivalent to about $10 Australian. And we can argue and we can say, well, you know, that's probably worth a lot. In Solomon dollars, well, no, $50 Solomon a week would buy you about seven bottles of water. So talk about what other people in other areas are having to address. But what James is saying, when you're dealing with employees, even with family, even with friends, make sure that you as Christians deal generously. Treat people with respect. Treat people justly and fairly. And then James had a shot at them because these people were engaged in self-indulgent living. He said, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. As I said earlier, God gives us um, blessings, including the riches that we have, the money that he provides. It all comes from his hand. And he gives it to us for our enjoyment, and we need to enjoy that, and, and to and to be appreciative, and to thank God for it. But there becomes a a line that somehow we need to draw in the sand, and to say, well, this is what I need for me, and I'm going to take hold of the blessings that God provides, and I'm gonna I'm going to enjoy all of that. But I'm going to be careful about what I lavish on myself in what might be classed as self-indulgent living. I learnt these lessons very early in my accounting career that if we don't address um, the issue of what we need in life, we'll go on spending whatever we earn and even more. 35 years ago, there was a young couple that came into my office and and they were saying, look, we don't know how we're going to survive. We don't know how to live. Can you help us with the budget? And they were earning $15,000 a year which 35 years ago was um, still a modest um, salary, but we sat down together and they laid out all their expenses and what they they were wanting to do and they had a little child um, that was there, another one on the way, and they were saying, we need to get our finances in order. And with a budget, they were able to do that. They were able to make a living. And then almost the next week, a fellow came in and he said, look, I just need help with my budget, with my finances. I don't know where all my money's going. And uh, I said, okay, well, let's have a look at your income and your expenses. And I said, so so what's the income? And he said, $400,000 a year. Now, this was 35 years ago. This man was a top executive with one of Australia's biggest mining companies. And he'd come in, and he said, I just can't survive. And he laid out all his expenses. And as we looked at them, he was right. He couldn't live on that because he kept on spending large amounts of money, way beyond that. Bought a farm and some different things, paid for in cash, mind you, but he kept on spending exactly what he's earned. And what I realised very early was, whatever comes in if we don't have a way of capping our spending, enjoying what God gives us but capping it, we're going to be spending everything we get and us being human as we are will always want to spend a little bit more because there's always something that is a little bit more attractive for us. And so James was writing these people and it was probably exactly along the same lines. You know, you see something and you want it and you go and get it. I think the best way that we can, um, we can cap our spending after praying with God and seeing where he wants to direct our lifestyles and all those things, is to set a budget and to recognise that anything that happens, or we receive in addition to that, we're going to be able to bless others with. And if you're wanting help with framing a budget around that, you could contact the church office and we'd be happy to have someone walk with you through that and help you, whether that's because you don't have enough money or well, because you're wanting to be someone who actually deals with your finances uh, in, in God's way, and we'd be privileged to help you. And then James wrote to a group of people, and he said, You're guilty of the murder of innocent people. You've condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Nothing stopped them in their desire to get rich. They'd stepped on people. Um, just stepped on all their way up the ladder. There were no boundaries and there were no desires uh, in their desires for riches. They just wanted to do it. See, money or the desire for money can have us abuse other people if we don't keep that in check. And we need to be continually mindful of the hold that wealth or aspiration can have over us in the way we look at other people and we deal with other people. I remember early on, again, in my accounting c- career, I went into, uh, into a... Um, it was uh, quite a large um, company, and he was uh, a man um, in his 40s. He was the manager of the company, and he said to me, look, you know, um, I just want to help you move my dad along. His dad was the, um, was the founder of the company, and his dad was in an office next door. He was probably about 65, and this young bloke said to me, it's time Dad went. He's just no use around the place. And it's time I stepped in to take over the business. Now this fellow, the young son that was talking to me, would not have even been involved in the business had it not been for the work of his father in establishing it. But he had determined his dad was now in the way and his dad needed to go. There was no love for his dad. His dad might as well have been dead from his point of view. He just wanted to take over the company. And there was a deep sorrow in my heart over that situation. That this fellow's um, view of life could be so distorted by what he was chasing. Or another fellow who came in um, who had, um, and, and his issue was, he had a lot of money, a lot of it, millions and millions and millions of dollars all those years ago. And yet, it provided him no security at all. He was trapped in his wealth, totally trapped. And it and it showed itself in the way that he treated his wife. They'd been married for um, close on 50 years and yet every single investment was in his own name. None of it was in his wife's name at all. And even though I'd spoken to him about transferring some of these investments out into his wife's name just to spread the tax burden alone, He said, no, I'm not going to do that. She might run off with a young bloke. Now, at that stage, I didn't really blame the lady if that's what she wanted to do. I thought it might have been a good way out for her. But he wasn't going to do that. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, how does a fellow get so caught up? But the reason was he had no security. Besides all his wealth, he had no security. And because of his clamouring to hang on to what he had, He was abusing those people around him. His wife lived with condemnation and even though he had a lot of money, he was trapped, totally insecure. So these give us a lesson about how we need to be taking hold of all that God's provided, not holding us um, as tightly as ours because what God tells us about wealth is, it's not ours anyway. God gives us, all that we have to hold lightly for him, that we might be people who pass on his blessing to other people. So James is really giving us a picture, the bad picture of what can happen when people do it. That passage from Corinthians, 2 Corinthians tells us what a generous life is all about. And friends, I want to finish on a really positive note. I want to say thank you. Thank you that you're part of a generous church. Thank you for the way that you give into our church uh, regularly uh, through your tithes. Thank you for the way you've given to our mission budget. as Craig said earlier, our mission budget has now been oversubscribed. We're a generous church. What does God call us to do now? Be open be open individually, individually, in your own families, listening to God, and grabbing hold of what God has blessed you with and be encouraged to be a conduit of blessing for others. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we, um, we started by opening up that that first verse of James, and it hits us, doesn't it? It hits us right between the eyes. Listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Father, firstly, we want to praise you and thank you for the blessings that you give us. Every good thing comes from the Father of heavenly lights. You're a faithful God. You don't shift, change like shifting shadows. You provide for us everything good, and it's for our enjoyment. But Father, we also know that you provide it not just for our enjoyment, but that others too might participate in your blessing. Father, open our hearts wider, with more love for those around who are doing life tough. And Father, we thank you for being part of a community together that seeks to make a difference in our world. We lift your name high. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.